Our scripture this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And it's found on page 1173, if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles. And though this is familiar to us now, because we've heard it each Sunday this summer, let's listen with fresh ears. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountain. He sat down and his disciples came to him. He taught them saying, happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who, hung, who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, this picture is taken on a, near a tidal island in the north of England called Lindisfarne, or Holy Island. And uh, the, when the tide from the North Sea comes in, this particular ground you see these people walking on goes under anywhere from about 6 to 12 feet of water. And um, it's a remarkable experience. Now what the path is uh, that you see here that's marked is a path that connects Iona, which is in Scotland on the very western coast of Scotland. It's out on its own island called Iona. And it connects across the southern part of Scotland, all the way across the northern part of England to this location, Lindisfarne. And it traces the journey that Celtic Christianity took when it moved from Ireland to Scotland and then eventually to the north of England. What these pilgrims are doing is they're walking the path between the mainland in England and Holy Island called Lindisfarne. Now there's a road that takes you out to the island that goes underwater as well. So if you want to drive a car or take a coach, you can certainly do that. But if you're going to walk the pilgrim's path, this is the journey that you take. The posts that you see there are there to mark the way that you're supposed to take when you're walking across the area that goes underwater. This, as you see in the picture, is an especially clear day. <laughs> there are many moments in this particular area where the fog rolls in and makes it almost impossible to see with practically zero visibility. And so as you make your pilgrim's path across from the mainland to the island, all sometimes you can see is the one post right in front of you that you're walking toward. And only when you arrive at that post can you see the next one so that you can walk toward it. So imagine what it's like to follow that path for two and a half miles, walking post to post 
not being able to see anything else other than the post in front of you. This is what pilgrimage looks like. Pilgrimage looks like having a destination, but actually being much more focused on the journey that takes you to the destination than the destination itself. It's exactly like Pastor Camille was talking about in the kids' camp moment this morning. Sometimes the fixation on the destination keeps us from experiencing the fullness of what's happening around us in the very moment that we're in. The Beatitudes, or these statements of blessing by Jesus, are a form of pilgrimage. They are not just individual statements by Jesus, but rather they outline a process for us by which we can understand the pilgrimage of our own life and how we walk with the Lord through it. So this morning I want to talk about three things. The first is how Jesus experiences the Beatitudes in his own pilgrimage. Then I want to talk about how we experience the Beatitudes in our own pilgrimage. And then lastly, I want to talk about how desperately the world outside of the church needs us to do that work, that pilgrimage. So how did Jesus do this? Well, let's take a little journey through Scripture. What do you say? Good. I'm glad I found agreement. I'm sure all of you watching online are shouting out yes at home right now. So let's look at each one of the Beatitudes very quickly, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture from the Bible about how Jesus experienced that Beatitude. So the first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to put the verses up on the screen, so follow along with me. Matthew chapter 8, 20. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and the birds of the sky have nests, but the human one has no place to lay his head. Did Jesus know poverty? Yes. Let's go on to the next one, which we know is mourning. Luke 19, 41 to 42 tells us, as Jesus came to the city that is Jerusalem and observed it, he wept over it, and he said, if you only knew on this, day, this of all days the things that lead to peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Other translations of the Bible said that Jesus in those verses overlooked the city of Jerusalem and wept. Does Jesus know mourning? Yes. Let's go on to gentleness. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. We already heard these verses this morning. People were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them, but the disciples scalded them. When Jesus saw this, he grew angry and said to them, allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Then he hugged the children and blessed them. Does Jesus know gentleness? And meekness, of course he does. How about hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Matthew chapter 25, verses 37 to 40. Jesus is telling a parable about what judgment will look like at the end of all things. And he tells it in the form of a parable, and here it is. Those who are righteous, as opposed to those who are not, will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and give you clothes to wear? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king, in this case Jesus, will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it unto me. Unto me. Does Jesus hunger and thirst for righteousness? Yes. 
How about mercy? Matthew 14, 14. When Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion for them and healed those who were sick. Does Jesus have mercy? He does. What about purity of heart or integrity as we talked about it a few weeks ago? John chapter 8, verses 14 to 18. It's in very tiny print, so I'm going to read it from a distance. My optometrist will be very proud of me. Jesus replied, even if I testify about, my, about myself, my testimony is true. Since I know where I come from and where I'm going, you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to human standards, but I judge no one. Even if I do judge, my judgment is truthful because I am not alone. My judgment my judgments come from me and from the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the witness of two people is true. I am one witness concerning myself and the Father who sent me is the other. Does Jesus have a sense of integrity or purity of heart? Yes. Is Jesus a peacemaker? Matthew 5, 43 to 45. Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rains on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Is Jesus a peacemaker? Jesus is. What about being persecuted? Matthew 20, 17 to 19. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 aside by himself on the road and he told them, look. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the human one will be handed over to the chief priests and legal experts. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be ridiculed, tortured, and crucified. But he will be raised up on the third day. Does Jesus know persecution? He does. How about good company? We talked about this last week. Good trouble is good company. Matthew 26, 55 and 56. Then Jesus said to the crowds, who came to arrest him at night. Have you come with swords and clubs to meet me like a thief? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you didn't arrest me. But all this happened so that what the prophet said in the scriptures might be fulfilled. Get it? What the prophet said in scripture might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left Jesus and ran away. We could go on. The Beatitudes outline the very life of Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 5, which is where the Beatitudes are located at the very beginning of that chapter, that chapter contains the first teaching of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. Now, Jesus says other things before that in the gospel of Matthew, like when he calls his disciples and others, but Matthew chapter 5 is his first teaching where he's going to instruct everyone, and the very first things that come out of his mouth are the Beatitudes, Jesus isn't just giving an individual set of blessings to people, trying to help people understand, well, if you're this, you're blessed, or if you're that, you're blessed, and they're all kind of this assorted array of statements. They follow a very clear process, and what Jesus starts out with in Matthew chapter 5 is outlining his very ministry, that he himself knows poverty, mourning, gentleness, all the things we talked about, ultimately leading to his crucifixion and death and then resurrection. Do you see the pattern the first thing Jesus tells them is exactly what's going to happen to him and what he is about. Now, oftentimes when we get to lists like the Beatitudes, we want to treat them like the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments, the one Charlton Heston had on two tablets, he came, and when Moses had when he came down from the mountain. Of course you do. You see, the Ten Commandments are instructive and good, but at the same time, the Ten Commandments simply offer 
a, a, a recipe of what you should and should not do. They're grounded around behaviors. The Beatitudes are not grounded around behaviors. The Beatitudes are grounded around an ethic, a moral, an imperative of heart and soul that if we embody these virtues in the Beatitudes, it will result in a set of behaviors for us. So I'd like you to wonder about some questions at the outset. Here they are. How is Jesus an example for you? And is there a difference between imitating him, reflecting him, and embodying him? And how does our answer to that question reflect about how we see ourselves? And how does it reflect how we see God? You, you see, if we see God as a, a master instructor who hands down rules, the way we'll understand God in our lives is in compliance. That's the Ten Commandments. But if we strive instead to embody a moral or an ethic or the way in which Jesus himself sees the world around him, something else will begin to emerge from us other than just compliance. So let's talk about how we make our own way in the Beatitudes. Well, there are some who like to make their way through legalism and rule following. Anyone here in that camp? You like rules when they're given? You know what time to be somewhere? You know what you're supposed to do? You like the rules? I married an accountant. I know that. <laughs> but following rules alone seldom illumines us. Because what we learn in the New Testament is that the purpose of the rules, 600 plus of them in the Old Testament, their primary job is to point out our sinfulness. They may not tell us what we should become, but they usually just tell us what not to do. And so on the other side, we could appeal to say, well, we're going to live out a life of moralism and do-gooding. We're going to be that person. But that alone seldom fulfills our life with any sense of vitality because it's like smoke without fire. It's like you want the morals of Jesus, but you don't want Jesus. You want the ethic of Jesus, but you don't want the Lord and Savior of all humankind. You see what I mean? Wanting to just be a good person or live a good ethical life like Jesus may sound right, but again, it's like smoke without the fire. You need both. And then there are other times where we fall into this trap where we say, well, what my spiritual life is about is just relationships and community and being with people that I love. Those are good things, but those alone sometimes don't fill our deepest needs. Because what happens in that space is it drives allegiance to organizations and institutions. Jesus ran up against this all the time in his ministry when he confronts the Pharisees, the Sadducees, other religious leaders. Their alliance was to the institution they represented rather than the religious tradition that they held. And what made it all the more dangerous is that their loyalty to institution looked like religious devotion, when in fact it wasn't. It was really a costume. You see, a pilgrimage, I would suggest, is a little different because it places all of its energy and effort on the journey, not the destination. You know, it's like those pilgrims following pole to pole as they make their way from the mainland to the island. Sometimes all they can see is the next pole. Do you feel like that's your life sometimes? 
where you may not know where you're going or what it's going to look like, but all you know is that I can see the next pole, and that's all I got. You see, pilgrimage is a model for us to live when we live by the Beatitudes. So imagine the Beatitudes like a 12-step program that's not 12 steps. Identifying where you are in the Beatitudes becomes important because it helps us chart our course to the next one. So imagine it this way. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. We start with poverty and let's say we're poor in some way or in some dimension. It could be materially, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is, our poverty. If we know that's where we are, then we know the next step is what? Ooh, it's a test. The next step is mourning. Mourning means that we have to come to grips with what we're lacking and mourn that. Recognize that the thing that we had or wanted or were about is no longer with us. And that triggers a deep sense of grief in us. And then we can move on to the next step in the Beatitudes and the next step. Sometimes the hard work is understanding right where we find ourselves in the beatitude. This becomes really important to us because just like the fog comes in on pilgrims walking between the mainland and Lindisfarne, we live in a very foggy time, do we not? A moment in our lives in which we're experiencing disorientation, confusion. We don't even know how to be a church together digitally and in person. We haven't figured that out yet. We still have this stuff hanging out here in the front of the sanctuary. We haven't even found a place for it yet. You see what I'm saying? It's almost like our room looks like the confusion we're in. And perhaps in the midst of that confusion, we find fertile soil for all sorts of evil within our world. Corruption, greed, malice, enmity, anger, polarity, you see, we're not the only ones confused. Everybody outside the four walls of this church building, they're just as confused right now. So the Beatitudes offer us a roadmap of how to navigate our life in the midst of all that confusion and can provide for us a sense of clarity about how we might live. So let me give you a few questions to wonder about here. Where are you on your pilgrimage through the Beatitudes? And how adaptable and flexible are you to take the next step? This becomes important work. Not only does Jesus live the pilgrimage of the Beatitudes, we're called to live in the pilgrimage of the Beatitudes because the world outside the four walls of the church, they need us to point the way. The very next verse after the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 is this. Let's put it up on the screen. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city on top of a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand and it shines to all those who are in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before people that they may see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. It's no wonder that these verses in Matthew's gospel follow the Beatitudes 
because certain things happen if we live like we're living in the Beatitudes, if we follow this process. The first thing that will happen is if you choose to live in the Beatitudes, you will be conspicuous. You will stand out. You will be hard to miss. Sore thumb, as we say in my culture. Friends, what I want you to understand is this, is what the Beatitudes are that, that Jesus is offering, as we've talked about them every single week, offer a counterintuitive way to live. Blessed are the merciful. Our culture rewards the merciless. Blessed are the peacemaker. Our culture values hostility and anger and polarization. You see, if we choose to live in the Beatitudes, we're going to be conspicuous. We're going to stand out, don't you think? That if we just go around being merciful and peacemaking and reconciling and loving and graceful, and even at moments in our own mourning or embracing our own poverty, we'll stand out. We live in a world that likes to deny its poverty because they think they have everything. This is the biggest problem with building a church with white affluent people. They already think they got everything. My friends, do you understand that the Beatitudes would make us conspicuous people? We would just stick right out. Which means everyone watching us would be what? Curious. Hey, what's your deal? Why are you so merciful? Why are you always trying to make peace? Why are you always in this space? If we're conspicuous, people are going to be curious. And if they're curious, then we can stand in that curiosity and confidence. I'm going to give you the list of all the promises Jesus gives in the Beatitudes. Here they are on the screen. Just read them for a moment. We're going to put them up for our online community as well. Would you like these words to describe you and our church? How wonderful would that be? These are all the promises of the Beatitudes. So if we lived in the pilgrimage of the Beatitudes, we would be conspicuous people and people would be curious because we stand in such clear confidence. Do you like the alliteration, by the way? Three C's in a row. Not bad, huh? Friends, the problem we face is this, is that we lack confidence about these promises, which keeps us from living curious lives, because we're not conspicuous anymore. The missiologist from Australia, Michael Frost, speaks at length about this. Frost talks about how evangelism works for the normal Christian. That most of us are not a bunch of public traveling evangelists like a Billy Graham. Most of us, that's not our calling. But for those of us who don't have that gift of evangelist, our job, as according to Michael Frost, is to live lives of curiosity that would evoke questions amongst people that folks would look at the strange way we live our life according to the Beatitudes and they would say, what's your deal? What's your story? The problem, friends, is what? No one's asking. The Christian church writ large in the United States 
looks like, talks like, buys like, sells like, has like everyone else in the culture. We drive the same cars, we live in the same house, we wear the same clothes, we do all the same stuff everyone else does. So if the salt has lost its saltiness, what's it good for? You don't light a light and put it under a bushel, do you? Conspicuous. Stick out. Sore thumb. The Beatitudes are a way for us to live, and everyone outside of this church right now is not just watching this church. Everyone outside this church is watching you, watching me, to see whether we're going to embody these virtues of Jesus and the Beatitude in our own lives. The Beatitudes are a pilgrimage, moving from one way to the other. And what I would suggest is this, is that this way of living is the only way, and that there is no other way to live than this way, because any other way will lead us to death. This is the way of life. Did not Jesus say it himself? I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. This is our way. This is how we live. Conspicuous, weird, strange people who stand out. Another way to say it is that, well, we're just not normal. So as we begin this new season in the life of our church, everyone's invited to take the journey because everything we do is centered on it. I've been here for 10 weeks. I like to joke with all of the staff that being here for 10 weeks makes me truly dangerous because, it may, because I start to feel like I actually know something when in fact I actually know nothing. Over these 10 weeks, I've had folks come to me and say, Pastor Craig, we're, we're really glad you're here. And after all the transition and upheaval that has gone on in the life of our church over the last 10 or 15 years, I can understand that statement that they would even say that to someone like me. We're happy you're here. And then the question that follows on to that is, Pastor Craig, where do you think our church needs to go? What do you think our church can become? What do you think we could do? Pastor, what vision do you have the church? Pastor, 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 please tell us, tell us, tell us. I just told you for 10 weeks. All we have to do is this, is remember that Jesus is walking with us from pole to pole, one step at a time. I don't know where we're going to go. I don't know. But we're on the journey together. And all we remember is one of the ancient songs of the church that Jesus is light in our darkness. He is the hope of the world. Without him, we can do nothing. With him, we can accomplish all things. So are you ready to go in the fog? Shall we take the next step? Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would guide us and lead us in this pilgrimage we're on for surely there are moments in our lives when we just feel flat out lost. 
There are some gathered here today in this space, some watching online that are carrying heavy pain today, God. Deep struggle in their life. They're in crisis. And you call us to be salt and light. To live in this way of the Beatitudes. Give us strength and courage that we might follow the Lord Jesus Christ who has gone before us our pioneer and perfecter in the faith. Music